Lord, we thank you, God, for the reading of your word. We thank you, Jesus, for this space, this gathering. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, will you minister to us? Will you help us to hear the words of Jesus? Will you be here, Lord, to open our hearts, to open our ears? As we lean towards you, Jesus, in effort to understand what it means to have faith, what it means to be the people you've called us to be. Have mercy, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning we're going to talk about faith, and um, I'm thankful for the timing of the text uh, because we're about to start a Bible study on the life and the person of Abraham. Um, I hope that that's something that um, will excite all of you as much as it is exciting for me to think about, Uh, in part because I love the Old Testament um, and in part because I think we are at a... um, there's something about having the invitation to go back to look at the foundations of our faith and the foundations of this story in order to better understand um, this moment that we find ourselves in as a church. Like, what does it mean for us to be the people of God together? What does it mean for us to be faithful as a church? And those kinds of questions are really important, and we could come up with our own answers for that. But it feels like there might be um, something, I don't know, uh, hidden within the story of Abraham's life and the foundations of our faith that might be revelatory and really important for us to think about and consider together. Uh, So I'm excited to be able to have that deep dive into looking at Abraham's life, in particular um, because he is the father of our faith, as it were, a father Abraham. As some of you grew up, as I did, singing the song, you know, um, he had many sons uh, and daughters, presumably, you know. Uh, There were just a lot of them. He is our spiritual ancestor. And um, I think it bears, though, asking the question, so like, what does that mean to say that Abraham is the father of our faith, that he is our kind of spiritual ancestor? Um, Why? Not just like, why Abraham? But what is the thing that we have because of him? What did God do with and through Abraham that has given rise to something in all of us? So like your faith, according to the Bible, is a particular kind of faith. God did something unique in and through Abraham that has given rise to something that is unique in the world, a specific way of knowing and relating to God, a specific kind of faith. And that is our heritage. That's why we're here all these millennia later is because God did something with this guy named Abraham a really long time ago out there under the stars, you know? He met Abraham, and Abraham believed. And you all know Romans. If you don't know Genesis, uh, it was counted to him as righteousness. And it, like, started this story that has led us to here. And um, I'll sort of never get over it. It is, like, one of those miracles of the universe or mysteries of the universe, whichever one feels most comfortable to you. At the very least, it's a mystery. Like, how and why did this people and this story of faith, how was it survived across time in history? You know, how did it survive the Babylonians and the Persians? How did it survive the Greeks and the Romans? Um, Will it survive the United States? Here we are. And uh, I want to know that if I had lived when Abraham lived and God was searching throughout humanity for someone in whom he might see some spark of fidelity or humility or honesty... Like, what was it about who he was? 
that God recognized in Abraham a person in whom and through whom he could work? And maybe a first order question is why would God want to do that at all? Like work through people? So if we're taking questions with this into the study, which I think happened to like bear for today, they matter. It's questions about faith, which is what does it mean to have faith? Like according to Abraham, the biblical story, but also maybe a more important question for some of you in here, I don't know, is like, um, why don't I have any anymore? Do I have it anymore? What is it? What does it even mean to have faith and where did mine go? How do I get it back? And maybe the question that like looms over all of that is what is the point of having it anyway is if there's a God, why work through people? Isn't there like a more efficient and effective way to like do the things you want to do in the world than counting on deeply flawed, clearly faithless human beings? You know, like if I was God, I'd come up with a better plan than us. And yet, according to the biblical story, this God whom we believe in, we hope for, we love, he has with sort of relentless commitment, chosen, insisted even on working through people, people like you, people like me, people like Abraham, over and over and over again, that's a story. So why? If what he wants to do in the world is so important, so good, why not find a better way? Your faith matters, I think. I think it matters to God. I think it matters for the world. And so if we're asking serious questions about what it means to have faith and what kind of faith we should have, then I just want to ask them together. I want us to be really serious-minded and serious-hearted about what that means for us. So the text today feels timely because this story, it's funny how the lectionary works. Here at um, Christ the King, we preach from a really old, it's called a lectionary, Sunday lectionary, meaning we don't choose the Bible text. We, pre uh, we preach from the ones and read from the ones that have been assigned to us a really long time ago. And so this text picks up about halfway through a story, which happens sometimes. Um, and so you don't, if you're, unless you know the story, you don't know the first half of it. But our passage begins with the disciples saying to Jesus, increase our faith. So you're meant to ask the question, like, why? What would compel them or inspire them to say that? What have they just experienced or witnessed or seen that has made them say in response to having seen it, God, help us increase our faith, give us more? Um, and the answer to that question is that Jesus has been teaching about forgiveness, uh, so I want to talk a little bit about forgiveness and how it connects to faith and then spend a little bit of time thinking about this whole like mustard seed, mulberry tree business that we read in the gospel. Um, what is Jesus saying? We'll talk about that too. But first, let's think together about forgiveness as it pertains to our faith. So what Jesus has just said to the disciples is this. Uh, he says, um, if someone comes to you and asks for forgiveness, if they repent, um, then you are to forgive them. And if they come to you again, then you forgive them again. And if they come to you how many times? Seven. Seven times you forgive. And in response to Jesus saying that, the disciples say, increase our faith. How, in other words, is it possible? How could a person ever 
What does it mean to have that kind of forgiveness, to be able to do that? Because it seems and sounds sort of impossible. Now, it doesn't unless you've ever been hurt, of course. Like, that sounds like a really nice thing to do. Like, of course you should forgive people. As many times and as often times as they ask. That's the right thing to do. And that all sounds good and feels good until you've been hurt. And I mean really hurt. And so presumably these are men who have been hurt because that feels and sounds like a kind of impossible thing to be asked to do. And it is. Here's the thing, that first thing that I want to say connected to faith that I think has been true in my own life. I think it's probably true for you. Whatever it means to have faith, the first thing that we can say decidedly, all of us together, is that it's not natural. And what I mean by it's not natural is that it doesn't come either easily or instinctively. The thing that I am being asked by God to do or the thing that I know I should do or the thing that the moment requires, like I, I, I can't. I don't have the instinct, the desire to do it, or I don't have the will or the ability to do it. I just can't. And so I think faith is somehow connected to this like acknowledgement that we don't have what is needed. The disciples were able to like hear Jesus and say, oh, that sounds great, but I know I can't do that. <laughs> like I won't be able to forgive someone who's repented and asked me for it seven times. It's impossible. So to say that it's not natural is both to realize that it doesn't come instinctively. Like by nature, I don't want to forgive you. Not really. By nature, if you offend me, sin against me, hurt me in some way, what I really delight in doing is holding it over you, even if just a little bit, you know? My nature inclines me to want to make you pay for it. If you've taken something from me, betrayed me or hurt me, then that's the thing that like, I think is going to feel good. That's what my nature pushes me to do even if it doesn't like fill me with murderous, vengeful rage, you know. I suspect for most of you people in this room, you're all good and decent people and all, you know. I don't look out and see anybody who looks like a murderer. I suspect that it's probably you're more inclined to do what I'm inclined to do, which is like when someone does something that hurts me, bothers me, offends me, um, I just want to kind of subtly remind them about it, you know. Even if I say I forgive them, it's like, I just don't want you to forget that you did it is all. And I'd like for you to know that I didn't do that to you. You know? Just so that we're clear. That that thing that you're not good at, I am better at it. That's all I'm saying. Without saying it. And Jesus is saying, what if you didn't do that? What if you were capable of something other than that? So it's not instinctive, instinctual. I also realize that even if I, okay, want to do that, let's say I hear Jesus describe forgiveness and I think to myself, I know I can't, but I'd really like to be able to. I'd like to be able to give that kind of mercy or grace. Then there's an acknowledgement that the source or wherever that would come from is like not in me. It's not naturally being produced in my person. I can't just like will it into existence, you know? It has to come from somewhere outside of me. 
So those are two, I think, really key insights about faith that matter, connected to forgiveness, but are even bigger than that. Faith is not natural. It's not instinctive. It doesn't, it's just not the thing that we're compelled to do is reach out to God to admit our own weakness, to trust. Not, not natural. Also, it's an acknowledgement that it has to come from outside of us, the source, the thing that we know that we need, because it's not being naturally produced inside of me, has to be given. It is a grace, Paul would say, lest anyone should boast. You have to go to God for it. So in hearing those things about forgiveness, the disciples respond and increase our faith because they know they're being asked to do something that feels impossible to them. Before we shift to faith, I just want to say this for you. Um, if you're dealing with issues of forgiveness, if you hear the words of Jesus and they sound insensitive to you, <laughs> and just like overly simple, because if you've ever really hurt, been hurt, having someone look at you and say, well, you just have to forgive them, and then you have to forgive them again when they come to you, without more explanation, it's hard to hear. Here's what I know to be true in my own life. Um, it is possible, I think by grace alone and by faith alone, to get to a place where I can forgive a person, meaning I have released them. The thing that I need, that I don't have in of myself, to make the pain go away, to not feel betrayed, to not feel hurt, I can't, I can't muster it myself, they also can't give it to me. There's nothing they can say or do that will ultimately heal the wound, that will make it any less. That ultimately has to come from God. Now, it doesn't absolve them of responsibility. Like, there, the truth is, there are things that happen in our lives, in our relationships. There are breaks that just, like, it's a break. You can't walk together in the same way anymore. That happens. I think it happened to the disciples. I think it happens to all of us. Something happens and it's just like, oh, we can't keep walking together in the same way. Um, if you use like a financial analogy, if somebody never pays you back, you know, at some point you stop loaning them money. Or you're like a bad steward, right? But what, I, what forgiveness says to me is that I'm not going to loan you money anymore. <laughs> but I'm also not going to insist that you pay me the debt that you owe. Because you can't. I know it and you know it. So whatever I'm going to have to get back is going to have to come from somewhere else. It's going to have to come from God. I have to take this thing to him, ultimately. I know what it feels like to have good people, people who should know better, people you love, to hurt you in that way. And to see the gap that exists between like what I, where I am and where I want to be and what I feel. You know? And what I'm saying to you is that I think faith is the thing that's meant to fill the, fill the gap. Jesus is meant to be the one that stands in the gap. He's the only thing that can ultimately really fill it. Them coming to you and saying the thing that you think you want to hear and them doing the thing that you think, it's, it doesn't actually close the gap. But I think Jesus is saying boldly, like God can, he can heal you. He can give you the restoration that you need. He can make you a kind of abundant person, but really only he can do that. And I think something, there's something about that that Jesus is connecting directly to what it means to have faith. Jesus says in the story, 
when they cry out. Increase our faith. Jesus says, if you only had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to that mulberry tree, be uprooted and thrown into the sea, and it would obey you. And you're meant to hear him say that and think, that's ridiculous. Impossible. Stupid. Never. Because what it does is it exposes how faith is meant to work. There is always, almost, a gap between what feels possible, what should be, and like where we are in reality. I mean, I say that's always the case. It's true for, the, for me. <laughs> I think it's true for a lot of us who are like trying to do, and I assume that's true of a lot of you, to do your level best to be a, like a good person in this world, you know, to live a meaningful life, to do the things that you want to do. It's like, if, and I know you've had this feeling before, where it's like, I'm here, who I am in reality, and over there is the person I want to be and the things I hope to do in the world and the things that God says are possible and that we're meant to believe in. And between where I am and between that, there's this gap. And what I'm saying to you is I think Jesus was exposing the gap on purpose and saying that gap is where faith is meant to live. That gap is where I go. That is faith. It's choosing to trust that God can do something to fill and close the gap. And it does require trust, but maybe that's all it requires, at least initially. So, for example, like to use his picture, a mustard seed is a very small and insignificant thing. It can be blown away with a whisper, gone. Does that describe any of your faith? I wonder. I wonder if Jesus was giving that analogy and painting that picture because he knew that's exactly how, for most of us, our faith would feel like a mustard seed, <laughs> like something small and insignificant, that if any wind blew too hard or anybody breathed on it, it would just like blow away and be gone. And rather than Jesus saying, no, no, you need something different than that, you need mulberry tree faith, you need boulder faith, he just said, what if that is enough to do more than you think is possible or can imagine? Where the problems of the world, the circumstance for you that feels so hard, is like a mulberry tree. Those roots go deep. Those trees were impossible to uproot. That's why he told the story. Their root systems are wild. You just can't dig them up, get rid of them. They're so deeply embedded and ingrained. What if Jesus is saying there's something even in you, in the insignificance of your faith, the smallishness of it, that God could work through if you are willing to trust? So, using a Bible story, for example, what if Eve, which is when this whole thing got started, right? Even before Abraham. Go all the way back to Eve. Snake saddles up alongside her, you know. He comes to her and he says, you know, God, he is not looking out for you. This tree, this is where it's at, and it's the one you can't have. What do you think about that? What if, rather than her saying, 
which is what happens. I can't trust him. What if she had said, that doesn't sound like God. I can't say for sure, but I'm just going to go ask him about it. You wait right there. <laughs> that is not some bold declaration of faith. Do you know what I mean? It's not like she looked him dead in the eye and she had gone, depart from me, Satan. I know the God of the universe, almighty God, he was provided for me and made me. That would be a bold declaration of faith that we would all applaud and say, that was amazing. But what if she had just only been able to muster, like, I don't know, a question, <laughs> a pause? It would have changed the trajectory, potentially, of a lot of things. When Peter was invited by God to step, by Jesus, to step out of that boat, I wasn't there. But I, you know, context clues tells me that Peter didn't, Bound, you know, put his hands on his hips, stand up and say, scoot aside, boys. I'm going to show you how it's done. Watch this and bound off into the waves like some great hero of faith. I think it took everything he'd ever thought, felt, believed about Jesus and looking him dead in the eye to get one foot up off the ground. And that's all it took. One foot up off the ground. One decision to trust, to fight the instinct, to fear, and to let fear keep me in my seat. Because that's what happens. The gap that we is real between who you are and where you want to be, what you want to do in the world, what you hope for, that gap is real. It's not imagined. And it bullies us because it either drives you to feel afraid like, oh, well, the gap is, it's a chasm, fixed. I can't, there's nothing we could do to close it. I'm too afraid, so I can't trust. I can't hope for that. I can only operate with what I know on this side of the gap. And that fear, that scarcity, it drives us to live lives, I believe Jesus is saying, that are smaller than the ones we're meant to live. Faith is being able to trust that, yeah, the gap is real, and I feel afraid, but maybe I could like just take one step towards God today and tomorrow I could take another step towards God rather than letting fear drive my whole life. And let's take it out of the Bible stories and make it real life. I think fear and scarcity is the reason that we decide, okay, well, I'm going to keep taking these promotions at work because I don't have imagination for another way of providing for my family. So I'm just going to keep doing this. I'm going to have sex before I'm married with people who want it because I'm terrified I'll never get married, and I can't imagine that it's possible to be a fulfilled person and a virgin this age in my life. The world tells me it's not possible, and it feels very hard, so I'm just going to do that. I can't let my kids get out of my reach because the world is not safe. I have to keep them with me all the time or they won't be okay. The gap is real. The fear is real. What I think Jesus is saying is can you imagine? Will you give me this much room, mustard seed amount of room, 
to let you hope for and choose to believe in something that to you seems impossible. Tim Mackey says it this way, and I'll close here. Tim Mackey is with a Bible project. If you don't know about them and you're curious about the Bible, you should look up the Bible project. This is a favorite quote of mine. He says it's about faith. He says, faith is being open-minded to new, unforeseen possibilities. Because of Jesus, there is possibility that I have not imagined before. Because of Jesus, there is possibility that I have not imagined before. I think that's what it means for us to have faith together. I don't know what it means for you today to choose to not operate out of your fear and out of a scarcity mindset. There's not enough. The world isn't safe enough. There aren't guarantees enough. I don't have money enough. I hear Jesus acknowledging that he knows that that's how we feel, which I'm thankful for. And I hear him saying, what if you just choose to, like, step past it? Anyway, what if there are possibilities that you have not imagined? What if you chose to trust me? Whatever that means for you today, however small it might seem, the conversation you know that you need to have that you're afraid to have, make the call. Just let the phone ring. If you know that you need more margin in your life and you're afraid to talk to your boss about it, just send the email to have the meeting, to sit down. One step at a time. If we hope for something together as a church, for what we believe God could do in Northwest Arkansas, but we're afraid to hope because we've heard it all before and we don't want to be disappointed, then what if we just commit to praying to keep showing up and seeing what he does one little step at a time? Come Holy Spirit, will you help us, Lord, to hear the words of Jesus? Will you help us, God, to take you at your word? I pray, Holy Spirit, now for the gift and the grace of faith that you would do something in us, Lord, that we cannot do in and of ourselves, that you would cultivate and generate something within us that we do not have on our own. Help us, Jesus. We ask you, God, for the gift and the grace of the faith of Abraham. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.